0: Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey.
1: Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's May Day, the first of May. That used to be such a fun occasion when I was back in grade school and we would run around the Maypole. Um, and today we have different feelings about it. It's also May Day is also a call for action if you are a boater, but we're not going to panic. We're on the other, quite the contrary, we're going to be grounded today by our guest, Bryn Miller, author of a book called Buried Saints, just out now from She Writes Press. It's a gorgeous memoir, uh, and the title is from the Saint Joseph, who you buried in your backyard. Welcome, Bryn Miller. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much.
1: We're going to talk about the story of burying St. Joseph in your backyard a little bit later, but um, I just want to introduce our listeners to your full story. Um, And you write about an experience that's very tragic. Uh, It's the experience of child abuse at the hands of uh, a family member. Your two daughters experienced this, and it signified a breaking apart and a reunification of your family. We're going to, first of all, just say the only authentic response to this book is tears, and I certainly had my share of them while reading, but also to just say how very sorry we are for you having had that experience today. We're going to look at the silver linings and the unintended positive consequences that came out of this experience. It could have destroyed you. It could have buried you, but it didn't. Um, and uh, we want to learn about how how that happened from you. So, um, just as another uh, backstory. Today we're routinely traumatized by the news and it's harder than ever to feel safe. Um, but safety and the feeling of being uh, protected and the ability to focus are essential for our well-being. Um, and that's something that you know we're is being taken away. Um, by the trauma of what's going on. It's a time when boundaries and borders mean even more than ever. We have boundaries between ourselves in a personal way. We're not touching or feeling one another. I do feel a connection um, electronically, but um, we're not in crowds anymore or on a subway, and maybe that will change um, for the long term. But those Contacts with one another and our boundaries are at the heart of human interaction, and we need both. So, you really do a deep dive into this subject in your book, Bryn Buried Saints. Here is the introduction for people who are not familiar. Bryn Miller's life is upended one terrible night in 2011. She learns that her daughter, she learns that her teenage stepson has been sexually abusing her two daughters. Once this secret is discovered, Bryn's marriage, already crumbling and unable to sustain itself, breaks for the final time. But against all odds, Bryn and her husband, along with their daughters, are able to learn resilience, forgiveness, strength, and courage, and miraculously Bryn's marriage begins to heal. Haunting and horrible, yet hopeful and beautiful, Buried Saints is a fast and raw memoir of forgiveness and resilience. It's a revelatory look into family deeply destroyed by deceit, and mostly it's an astonishing story about the intense, unpredictable love of two parents left in a tragic situation to fall or flourish, and that is the situation we find ourselves in today, to fall or to flourish. And Bryn, you've provided me with some reading about child abuse. April was Child Abuse Awareness Month. And, you know, without teachers, live teachers in the classroom, uh, there's less of a checks and balance on child abuse than ever. And Zoom has literally become our lifeline. So I thank you very much for that. Um, We... Have to really define trauma, which is that which can 't be processed it 's a pretty simple but enormous concept and then mm-hmm. after use to tolerate the sensory reminders of it and to physically experience um, you know efficacy in response to stimulus that once triggered our feelings of helplessness and dependence that's growing out of it from Bessel van de Kolk um, considered a leader in the field. In your book, Bryn, you describe the ordeal of your daughters, which although it's terrifying, was thankfully encapsulated owing to the very swift actions of you and your husband to confront the situation. And you learned quite rapidly um, that people were fairly patronizing about this. Time does not heal all wounds. And the fact that your girls were very young does not diminish this in any way, shape, or form. Fortunately, you and your family have really done the work and continue to, and you're to be commended. So there's a before and after to this story written by Bryn Miller, Buried Saints is the name of the book. And it's before the trauma of having had learned that your daughters were being sexually molested by a a stepson, everyone's worst nightmares. There's the before, knowing what's what, being an authority, having answers at your fingertips. And then there's the after um, when you found out about the trauma and your life was upended. But to your great, um, to your great common, uh, commendation and to our um, further understanding of trauma, the fact that you truncated it by getting to, to the heart of it right away was extremely important. Um, and you write in the book, I just looked up and kept looking up because looking down felt like giving in. The sky, the wind, the trees, the universe, that's where I found God, wisdom, and strength. It's not in any mother's dream to nurse her children back from being victims into survivorship. But Bryn, that's what you did. And I would argue that you had to model being a survivor yourself. And this is something that is um some depth that I think you you found in yourself. Would you say that that's true? Did you know you were a survivor all along? Maybe not this caliber, but were you?
2: So that's an interesting question. Um, certainly there's so many parallels when you talk about what we're dealing with today with COVID and, and boundaries. Um, we, I knew I was the type of uh, person who could... Pull up our bootstraps and and get going. So the second we found out something had happened, and and I just want to stop for a minute and say, you know, the power of communication, the power of reaching out, the power of picking up the phone call, is also relevant today because so many so many um, breaks in the chain could have happened if one person didn't tell one person who picked up the phone and called us, who then turned around and. We confronted my stepson and one of my daughters, and so I just really want to highlight that we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for the bravery of picking up the phone. Um, right. This so was I'm your the type of
1: this was your neighbor whose um, daughter was the babysitter, right, to whom your daughters yeah. confessed, and she picked up yeah, the I phone mean, and, at night and called you.
2: Yeah. So the, the chain of events to get us to knowing, then you get another break in the chain. I, I fully understand how hard it is to know, to hear the badness that's happening in your house and to try to approach it and unpack it. So, you know, I knew I was the strong person to be able to say, okay, we can do this. We can fix it. I can learn everything there is to learn about trauma. And And we'll push forward. But at a certain point, my energy level just died. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember nights of hearing everything that we needed to hear. And and the way I approached it was I learned everything I could learn. I took classes in the afternoon, um, continuing ed, psychological classes, so I could learn everything I could about trauma. And I thought that my kids are going to be healthy. That they are not going to be victims of any kind. So, you know, you put yourself in the go mode and you go, but then my energy failed. I, I, I couldn't do it. And it's a heavy yeah. nature topic, so not everybody could handle it with us, not, not everybody could know. We were really fortunate that it wasn't in the town newspaper. Um, so while we were able to approach it internally and to divulge to who we needed to divulge to, and we weren't subject to the rumor mill and, and all of what goes with that, um, it was lonely and it was hard and God bless my husband. He straddles both sides of it because all three of the children are his. So he wasn't always my person. I couldn't always go to him and cry and say, I can't do this anymore.
1: Right. And the other thing is, too, you were processing it yourself. I mean, while you were trying to be the strong one and while you were the go getter, um, you know, to your credit, you rallied. But I really believe that, you know, to absorb this means that you're absorbing quite a loss yourself. And it's something that we as women, I think, often um, put ourselves forth in a way where, you know, once again, it's hard to tend to our own needs and to know what to do for ourselves. And as you say, not having your your typical partner, I do sense in you though that you are a survivor. You went to resourcefulness mode. You decided to get educated. You know, you were brilliant in the way that you cut. Um, The conversation off with the public by, you know, circumventing the newspaper. I think that was a blessing. And you're very right to talk about how there could have been any number of variables that had they gone a different way, wouldn't have spelled the degree of recovery that you all have experienced as a family. And you write a lot in the book about um, expressive arts therapy. It's something that you engage with, uh, with your daughters and obviously with yourself in having written this book. And I really feel that there is such an important purpose in putting... Uh, thoughts, emotions, um, experiences into words. Um, you know you talk about journaling, and ultimately, you know, a memoir is the ultimate journal. Um, you've given it to, to us as a gift. And hi I just wondered how has writing the book been therapeutic for you?
2: So I'm the first to say I like I'm a task person. I like tasks. I like to get them done and, um, processing everything that we went through is still happening today. I'm still processing it. So, um, from that end, I don't know that I'll ever check it off my list. There isn't a day that we don't deal with it. Um, that may sound, that may sound like it's impossible, but there's so many things along the way of raising children, the little boy on the kindergarten playground that wants to give your daughter a kiss, it's a trigger. You know, yesterday over a Zoom class, the male anatomy lesson in science, it's a trigger. So we're still processing it. I'm still processing it. Um, I, I didn't, I will say this um, over and over again. I don't feel like I wrote this book. Um, when I was called to write this book, from whom I believe to be God, I had to pull over on the side of the road because the nudge was so big and it was, you're going to do this. And I'm on the side of the road pulling out scrap paper from the door of my car writing down the notes and all along the way I was guided by this this faithful power in my life to keep moving it forward. Um... I'm really proud of the book because there You should be. I, I could have... There were certain points in the book that I needed to be authentic. And when you write a book, lots of people have opinions on what is um, what the audience will like and what the audience will want to read. And I needed it to be authentic to our life um, and yes. and real. And in fact, I ended up having to dial back stuff to make it sound real <laughs> because, because it really was such an enormous scenario going on in our life. Um, right. So I think it's hard. Um, my daughters are, are very proud of the book. Um, my husband struggles with it. It reveals things about his son that hurt. I mean, they hurt. Um, sure. So we're still processing it, Diane, and, and yes. I think we probably will be.
1: Forever. Yes, forever, and that—that that is the nature of trauma, and it does reside at a cellular level, so, you know, we go through these sensory triggers, I, I just have to say that, you know, you were called um, and maybe that's the mechanism for you processing um, this further and for further revelations. I'm extremely proud that your daughters um, are engaged with you in this um, and are enjoined with you. I think that's lovely. We know that um, this is uh, to protect their privacy. This is uh, an alias for you. But, you know, you think about things like it doesn't sound the least bit melodramatic to me. Um, You know, you listen to people like um, Laura Bush, for example, and this is not, this is certainly not a political conversation in a personal way. She endured the death of a, a close friend of hers in a car accident in which she was traveling. And she said, there is no, there is no day that ever goes by that I don't think about her. Because, of course, you get in your car, you're going to have the smells, you're going to have the sights, as you say, you have, you know, the sex ed. So I think what, you know, we want to do when we come back from the break, we're forced to take a break now, um, because we've just touched on so many, so many subjects, but we're going to enter into the idea of we can start in some small ways, to reprogram ourselves. And we're going to hear more about how that happens when we come back with Bryn Miller, author of Buried Saints. Don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz, while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit BooksForward.com or send us an email at info at BooksForward.com. A JKS communications company. Stimulating talk gets those synapses
1: in your brain firing really fast.
0: All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at truenordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're here in conversation with Bryn Miller, who's written a brave new memoir called Buried Saints. It's a very sensitive subject. It's a subject that was divisive in your own family, Bryn. You've just alluded to the fact that because your two daughters um, experience sexual abuse at the hands of your stepson, it's difficult for your husband to fully embrace the notion of being so revealing and candid and, as you say, authentic, In the book, Um, sometimes, you know, when we generalize, sometimes we feel, you know, men sometimes compartmentalize things and women are much more prone to divulge and to share. And I, I do think that it must be hard. I can certainly appreciate how it must be something that tears him apart in terms of his ongoing processing of the situation, his allegiances. But you have done something miraculous, I think, in recovering the strength yourself, going beyond your own limitations, and, and coming together as a family. Some of the techniques, I would say, are just so fun, um, and, you know, heartening. You've got the 13th of the month. I'm just going to rattle some some of them off. You've got swimming. You've got (laughs) the 13th of the month, and you've got going to Africa. All things that, you know, really are are great – are quite things we want to embrace. but um, And then there's singing and belting it out in the car and, um, you know, you're on the way to the therapy sessions and you and your daughters are are belting it out. You know, I find there's something to that. Um, There is a whole lot of um, logic about the fact that, you know, trauma resides in our bodies somatically and that um, engaging in especially the throat and the voice um, gives voice, right? Gives a sense of power and agency, maybe at a time when we, you know, didn't didn't have that. And um, you know, you've enacted a lot of creative ways, um, and I think you will continue to do so. Uh, did you have to, you know, reach deep? And did these ideas that you've discovered just come to you intuitively as well?
2: So that that's actually a really good question. Um, I think what happened was in being broken, and I don't mean truly broken. You know, except my child dying, this was the worst thing that I ever could have imagined, um, for a multitude of levels that are probably two other, you know, podcasts of conversations, but the creativity was really me throwing my, uh, my steadfast perfectness to the wind and saying, okay, this happened, and how are we going to do it? And early on, um, when I was doing some write-up work about the girls and and who they were um, when they were in the womb, someone had told me who they are in the womb is truly who they are, and I thought, well, okay, I'll I'll write out for them who they were in the womb, and we'll make it really fun, because so many traits of who they were is truly who they are today. So. I was writing up this story. I turned to my older daughter, Kennedy, and I said, Hey, can you give me a story of something loving that happened in, in our world? And she just looked me deadpan in the eyes at the age of five and said, Mom, we had no love in our house until this happened. And it really struck me. I thought, oh, Wow. And I know what she meant. She meant, you know, I was in a really bad place and I was being abused and I was confused and I didn't know. But what I thought is we have to reconstruct all these boundaries and we have to reconstruct fun and I can't do it in a let's sit down, you know, and read kind of way. So um. a little bit was authentic to me. A little bit was goofiness. A lot of it was us all coming together and throwing ideas on the table um, Some of it, like the writing and the journaling, was because I literally couldn't process the amount of information they were telling me. So it was sort of my way of saying, write it down here, the best of your ability, and then we'll get it to the therapist next week. The singing, I drove 45 minutes each way one day a week for one of their therapeutic appointments that was very specific to trauma. So we just spammed it out. And, and, and again, sometimes it was a mechanism for me to cry without them knowing if I was crying.
1: Well, crying to <laughs> the song, yeah.
2: Right. Sometimes it was a mechanism for them to be mad when they didn't know how to appropriately be mad. But singing a mad song really gets the energy flowing in a positive way. Exactly. Um, we, we all reach to the depths of our ability. And I think... It remolded us and
1: reshaped us. It sounds to me, um, and I had this feeling in reading the book, you you were just cracked open. You were really cracked wide Mm. open. and, And it felt... Um, you know, like you're talking, like you were saying about writing the book, you were called. um, So we're not going to know until much later the reasons why. You know, we don't, we're not going to understand this very, we're not going to understand this right up front. All the answers are not yet present. But this way in which Um, you were as you say steadfast I think you were also you there was this you know this this sense of there being a perfectionism and also a sense that you know when Kennedy said this to you about love in the house I also had the feeling that 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 resonated so much because it was very real at so many levels your husband and you I think reconnected Uh, It could have gone any number of ways, but you reconnected through this experience. And I think that, you know, the fact that you came up with, you put your heads and your hearts together and came up with ways to deal. You were getting a lot of expert advice, but, you know, nobody can teach you uh, what you, you, uh, one of the ultimate things that you did, which is that on the 13th of the month, so on the 13th of the month, you celebrate. And this is a way of saying, well, forget it. 13th superstition we're not going to believe in you Um, what we're going to do is take control of our lives and we're going to celebrate on what is supposed to be an unlucky day and just show you there how lucky it can be for us as a family so tell us some of the things that you've done on the 13th that i just find this enchanting
2: so 13 is my lucky number. There are probably a lot of ways to read into that. I love Friday the 13th. Anybody who knows me knows that it's like the luckiest day for me. All good things happen on Friday the 13th. I don't know if that's God's wink and laughing at me or if that's his way of saying, I got your back, girl. I got your back. Um, So we decided one New Year's Eve, we decided what are we going to do this year? We don't want to do a New Year's resolution and we don't want to fail at anything. So what are we going to do? So um, Taylor, my younger daughter said, well, let's have a party on the 13th of every month. And so we decided as a family, that would be a really good idea. And I have to say it did take an enormous effort for my husband because when the 13th um, came on a work day, he did cut out of work and we did, um oh. we delivered, 13 bouquets of flowers. I, I went down early one morning to my friend's beautiful garden. She said, cut whatever you want. So we, I cut out all these flowers and we organized them and we randomly delivered them to 13 church families. Um That's We wonderful. bought 13 different flavors of ice cream and we ate ice cream around the kitchen and laughed. Um, the biggest... The biggest one we did, separate from going to Africa, but the biggest one we did was we. my daughter said, let's fly 13 kites at the same time. I mean, who can do that? 13 kites. You know, between the four of us, we had eight arms. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did. We set out to do it, and we went on a vacation, and we bought 15 kites in case two broke. <laughs> right. And it just became... It just became... A, a bonding that, and, and again, a reimagining of who we were as a family, um, we're always sort of stuck in the whole truth, right? I mean, we all are. We all have a, a whole truth about us, but we wanted that to be one portion of it. Um, and, and you say, I was broken wide open. I, I was broken. Um, And it's taken a really long time for me to understand that I was chosen, I was blessed,
1: and I was broken. But it Mm -hmm. started with the broken. Um, And I I think, too... Sorry, I a little emotional. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Listen, you're entitled, and we all felt it and feel it when we are with you in this book as well. I think that, you know, one thing that happens um, after trauma is, you know, you, you switch over from the left to the right side of the brain logical left side thinking is no good in trauma because it's not logical. So you switch over (laughs) to the right intuitive side of the brain and most people, many people experiencing resilience after a trauma become highly intuitive. And intuition has its roots in the Latin, which means protection. You are now being offered a kind of protection that you haven't had before. Your sense your sensory alertness, your maybe hypervigilance, you know, it's protecting you and you're right to pick up on the signals and to go with the flow of what, you know, your ideas are that bring you into a larger life that so that this isn't defining you always it will always be present and will always be woven in but that you're you're developing also self efficacy who can fly 13 kites your family can you know and you rose to the challenge and you know it's something that um you know with the flowers which i just thought was one of the best examples of getting completely outside yourself you know taking the flowers to your neighbors that you wanted to thank and express gratitude towards you know it's really turning yourself inside out this way and getting outside of your own feelings of sorrow and even self-pity um, which are, would be entirely understandable as well, but I think this is so healthy and encouraging to rekindle that little tiny spark that just needs a little tiny wind to catch fire again and have a life that's reborn. Um, you 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 really also um, you know I think touched on uh, ways of connecting with yourself. I. I have to go back to the before, Bryn, because that was also that, that was also a fascinating creature. You were um, a person, you know, who self-described person who had it all—a successful career. Um, a a loving husband. There were some issues. There were some, um, you know, uh, substance dependencies that became worked through, thank goodness. And, you know, but you had it all and yet you felt a kind of awkwardness. Um, You know, your husband was very gregarious and he had a certain degree of social ease. Many of us are drawn to people like that, when we feel our own otherness and awkwardness and outsiderness, I will say it enables you to write. So that is a, a blessing of, of awkwardness and outsiderness. But you say that, um, you know. You you write in your book I had more in common with my friends' husbands than my friends themselves because they were all having children and marking birthdays, and you felt your awkwardness absorbing you. Swimming was your safe harbor. You say you place where you felt yourself, and I wondered what you felt this um, you know this awkwardness was about. I loved here is you describing swimming. Quote, I think I swam because there's no awkward in swimming. You can't be too tall or trip over your feet. Swimming leveled the playing field and smoothed out my self-doubt during my maturing years. Swimmers fit into their own society, and I rejoiced in that. Swimming as a kid was the perfect routine to counterbalance the tension between my parents. In the pool, I never had questions I had on land. So it's the great equalizer and soother and competency maker. Where do you think that that awkwardness was coming from in your life?
2: So I've, I've seen it in myself and, and I've seen it in my kids. And, and quite honestly, with all the work I've done with kids moving forward, I, I know it's in, within all kids. When, when things are going on in the household, a kid may not have the words. And, and I was one of those kids that didn't have the words to verbalize. Something doesn't feel right. And my parents um, are no longer together, but there was a lot that wasn't right. But they kept trying to convince us, everything is fine, this is normal, this is normal. And at certain breaks in your life, especially as you go through the school path, you realize, oh, wait, that's not right. Other people's parents don't do it that way, or other people's father doesn't yell that way, or some other people's mom doesn't drink that way, or whatever the scenario is, right? Right. So right. I had an innate feeling that all of my life, it, something wasn't right. And I didn't have the tools or the capability to verbalize it. I was told, just go be perfect. You know, go out there. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. This is great. So I really feel very deeply um, impassioned and, again, called to empower kids to put language to what doesn't feel right and that was one of the things that I encouraged my kids to do um you know we had a funny scenario uh, and it's very the the me before all of this is still the me today but she's a little unleashed the the Mm -hmm. walls and the barriers are down on that perfectionism and, and I'm a recovering perfectionist So, you know, give me grace if I screw up. (laughs) Um, One time I made a cake for my daughter's kindergarten and the kindergarten teacher said, oh, you must have helped make this, Kennedy. You can cut the first slice. And she said, oh, no, my mom has control. (laughs) (laughs) Still um, and always. So, so listen, I'm, I'm not perfect, but at the end of the day, I think my awkwardness is, I never felt free to be me and now Mm -hmm. I'm just me I'm just me take it or leave it and I have the shout out to my friends who are listening today because they love me for me and Diane there is nothing more beautiful than knowing that you are loved wholly and completely for who you are exactly I'll just say um I hate surprises as you can imagine And my husband decided to surprise me for my um, 45th birthday, and I was so mad at him. Um, But I realized when I went upstairs in my temper tantrum, everybody downstairs knew me completely and wholly, and it was just the most warm, loving feeling I ever could have imagined.
1: You know, I think that um, it's about acceptance, self-acceptance. You actually, um, it's infectious from this book. I came away from this book feeling happier with myself, which is a very strange (laughs) takeaway from a tragic story. Um, You know, it is obviously a story of resilience, but, you know, what you just said about the unequivocal love um, and being accepted, it's something that I took away from the reading this book, I definitely feel like, um, you know, I've put more color around. I, you know, I've laughed a lot more at imperfections. There's a way in which your book, because you have been so real, there's a way in which your book just puts things in perspective. And I think, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that can do that. And there was time when you didn't have the words for what was wrong. But I can tell you, Bryn, you do now and it's really a joy so i um i just want to remind everyone that we're we're talking with Bryn miller the author of buried saints we are going to get to the story of the title because it is interesting how (laughs) saint joseph popped up so to speak um but we've got to take a little break here and when we come back we're also going to understand what it was like to go back to the origins of humanity when you took your family to africa Don't go away. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. Thank
2: you. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey,
0: Alexa.
1: Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: She writes press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects, while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at truenordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Bryn Miller, author of the memoir Buried Saints. It's a compelling read, a story of coming back from the brink. And um, a, a story that is important for, I think, all families to read. Um, you became much more open, Bryn, um, to the idea of receiving signals. You, you buried the saint, Saint Joseph, We promised to get to this story. W- what happened? You, you, you took this you took this icon, right? And you buried it in your backyard. And um, it was in the context of you thought you were going to be selling your house. And then, and then what happened?
2: So I'll just take a, a quick step back. My faith started growing um, a number of years earlier. It was only in the wind. If anyone had talked to me about God or Jesus, I, I would have hightailed it on a run the other direction. So it was a very slow path. Um, I've always believed in signs, but of course I thought the signs were generic universe signs and now I truly identify them as a God wink. And, Mm -hmm. um, we, we didn't know whether to stay in our house where all the abuse had happened in the middle of the night or whether we should leave. And there are pluses or minuses on both sides. So we decided let's try to sell our house. So we put it on the market. It wasn't selling. We were very frustrated. It was a very competitive market, so we, we just didn't get it. Um, I have a very good friend of mine who said, let me get you a St. Joseph, and the St. Joseph is a patron saint of real estate. You bury him in the front yard of your house or in a potted plant or somewhere, and the, the luck of his um, uh, his presence sells your house. So it was a pouring, pouring, pouring pouring rainy spring. It couldn't have been wetter or muddier. My husband was off on a business trip, and I was very, very tired. Um, The night before I had buried the saint, I had put a little pile with a little garden shovel next to the saint. I put it in its plastic bag, said this marvelous prayer that I don't know where it came from, buried it, went to bed, woke up the next morning, dropped the girls off at school, and just feeling... Energyless, absolutely energyless. And I was drawn back over to the garden and I looked at the garden and there was the saint lying in a perfectly clean bag next to the hole where I had buried him and the pile that I had made the previous day. It was as if I didn't complete the act of burying him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, to be honest, holy bleep. And, like, what is going on? There's no way. Intellectually, there should be a bite mark in it. I'm sure an animal would have dug it up or something. And it wasn't. So I raced inside. I called my husband, and I said, I don't know what this means, but this is what happened. And he said, take the house off the market. We're not meant to sell
1: it. <laughs> You read the tea leaves. This is great. And he always had faith. I think he was a, a person of faith as well, right?
2: So, he is a recovering Catholic. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, we, he he struggles, you know, men struggle to have faith in this world. It's very difficult to go to work in the world of finances and say, hey, God's got our back on this, guys. So I think he is a typical man, deeply, deeply, deeply wants to believe in the bigger picture and gets pulled back over and over again through the ways of the world that our men uh, journey.
1: Right, well, there's a lot of being results oriented and um you, right. know, you and know, if we, if we want proof and we want you know results right. and but I think you had um a great proof and a great result with your uh you know saint joseph and i I think it's really very interesting to me that you had this kind of parallel track you you had this inner thread running through you all along, and it kind of came to life you came to life spiritually through this experience. And, you know, that's that's a pretty great um, outcome, I would say, uh, in addition to becoming, you know, this open and friendly neighbor, a giving person, and a person that ultimately wanted to explore beyond your own boundaries, right? Because you proposed right. that you take the family back to the seat of our origins, and you went to Tanzania, which is the, the birth well, Olduvai Gorge is not far away. Victoria Falls is there. Some of the oldest lands, some of the oldest remains um, have been found in Tanzania. And you took your family there and you were untethered, unmoored from anything you ever knew um, in terms of, you know, culture, landscape, animals, and you were kind of put back in touch with something. What was it like to go there and how did it, How did it put in perspective what was going on back at home? So
2: um, the impetus and the drive for that was we were, my my daughters at the time were five and seven. Um, And, you know, bringing a five-year-old to Tanzania is a pretty bold thing in and of itself. And I wanted us to have a spiritual experience. And so I really hoped the living daylights out of my husband until the pediatrician said go go Mm -hmm. and a lot of it began with just wanting to get out of where we were I mean we were just so in this teeny tiny little bubble of darkness so I wanted to rip the band-aids so wide open and when we did that I think it changed us all I mean First off, the perspective of, of the poverty and the need and yet the happiness and the faithfulness. Um, my husband and I renewed our vows um, when we were there, which just really, I can't even, we, we were staying at an orphanage in mm-hmm. a small village, and the priest there was going to remarry us. And the orphanage skipped a day of school and threw a party for us. And mm-hmm. at the end of the wedding vows, which were so unbelievably personal, it must have been given from God because there was no way this man had never met us before. This the most amazing rainbow. I mean, this across the sky of Africa, a rainbow started, and then they, they the orphanage started singing and dancing, and then another rainbow happened, and there was a double rainbow, and it just. It physically brings me to my knees every time I think about it because that is God's promise. God's promise is in the rainbow, but you have to have the rain first.
1: It's incredible. Sorry, I have to and take a deep breath. No, I understand. And,
2: um, in the end, I don't think I'll ever be thankful for the rain, um, but man, do I cling to that promise of the rainbow and God's presence being good. And over and over and over again, when I am willing to. To surrender, which again, I'm a recovering perfectionist um, mm-hmm. for earthly perfections. But um, when I am willing to surrender, the answers that are applied to me are so much bigger and more creative than I ever could have
0: thought.
1: Right. And I think too this idea of going to a place that's impoverished and you know seeing the spirit of people and understanding look it doesn't come from the outside it comes from inside and it's something right. that we can choose it's it's a choice and we can we can celebrate our lives and one another um, you know it, it's weird that you were staying like in an orphanage in some ways. You were all like orphans. You you had been dissociated from your um, from your heritage, your your parentage of, you know, trust and what you knew, and it was going to be up to you to kind of recreate your life. Um, so this renewal of the vows then it, it becomes really powerful and profound. I, I do sense, though, um, and this is something that came through to me in the book. There's a lot of momentum now uh, because you are a mother who, you know, you've you've rededicated yourself. Um, you've com- you've come away from, I think, a place that, you know, there you were in Africa where. Everything is very different and that stimulates us in a certain way to understand we can be different. We can be different than who we were before. And I, I think, I, I must think that your girls also enjoyed it, you know, visually um, and, and in the sense of the spirit of the place and play and also animals. Look at, you know, animals, um, you know, that's a big embodiment of um, spirit and also um, instinct. Um, So, you were really in the midst of, of the crux of all of it. And now that you came back and really came back together in a way that you hadn't been before, you have a renewed sense of purpose. This healing that you're doing, you're doing this as a family. Everybody's got a role to play in it, but you're doing it. It's something you're doing together. And I wonder, you know, the effects of having that mutual goal, how that has played.
2: Um, it's interesting because here we are in lockdown during COVID-19 and a lot of what we've been through has prepared us to be together. Um, my husband and I keep saying we're super thankful that we all really like each other. I think what it boils down to is we know, we know each other in a really deep way. I mean, my daughters are best friends. People don't totally understand that. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with trauma bonding, but in the end, they don't mind spending every waking hour together. Um, we play games together. We, we really truly enjoy each other. And for me, I feel like as they were growing up and they were young, there's so many milestones I missed. And I just am so blessed that I get to enjoy this time. Um, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And we definitely have our itchy, scratchy moments. Um, But we genuinely love each other. But I think that comes from a, a deep level of understanding on who each other is. I don't know if that makes any sense.
1: It truly does make sense. You know what each other is made of. And you've had to plumb the depths of yourselves to come up with the strengths. And the creativity and the love um, you know, that was maybe in there all along but had been untapped, you know, for one reason or another and, you know, crisis and the need to um, confront and not deny and to go to work through things in the way that I still feel you were enormously brave to do, um, you know, it really brings out something in yourselves that, you know, you you, you discovered Um I, I wanted to take a step back to a word that sometimes we all get tripped up on, um, which is forgiveness. And I know that there's a rich tradition of forgiveness in the Christian tradition, um, and, the, and there are lots of obviously um, Jesus is the, the one of the is the Christian role model for this. Is there a sense of coming to a deeper understanding and having compassion? Or Is forgiveness a very real possibility um, in your view?
2: So we talk about this all the time in, in our household. And I, I believe a couple of tenets of forgiveness. One is I believe forgiveness is for you, not for the other person. Um, that's not that the other person doesn't benefit from it. Two is, I believe forgiveness is a daily challenge. Um, you have to choose forgiveness. It doesn't come naturally to us. Um, and three, I believe that putting your best foot forward is an act of forgiveness. Um, if, if we let the pain of it, um, encapsulate us, we're not living in forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, we have to move our best foot forward. So I, I do believe, and I'm still studying how Jesus is a symbol of forgiveness. I mean, I fundamentally understand it, but as a human here on earth, it's really hard to look at it that way. So I sort of stick to my tenants. Um, sometimes I think the most loving thing you can do is to just happily move on from a relationship in your life. um, My daughters have not seen their half-brother. The the door is wide open if they want to, that we would do it in a healthy way, but they are not ready. But they don't live in not liking him. I mean, they understand their their dad has a relationship with him still. They understand that he was young and has to put his foot forward for every day of his life. And we talk about his responsibility as well. So none of us are living without it.
1: I love the idea that forgiveness is putting our best foot forward because that's what we need to do today. Unfortunately, um, our time is up and the forgiveness also separated you from your anger, which I thought was a beautiful thought. In the end, honesty is found on every page of this book, Buried Saints. You can find Bryn Miller at www.brynmiller.com. At Facebook, Buried Saints, and Instagram, Bryn Miller 45 Thank you, Bryn. Thank you very much for listening. And um, stay well, everyone.
2: Thank you. You too.
1: Thank you so much for dropping
0: in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.